a minute, wait turn a minute. on the radio, on the radio. My, my homie got a new show and it's time to play it's it though, play it I hope right. you got in tune, got he in talking tune. bigger business, talking he business. make a lot of money. Welcome to the Startup Showcase, I'm your host Scott Katoon, joining me on today's show, we've got the co-host for the, for the I guess what, hour and a half or whatever long we have here, uh, Vic Pascucci, the Managing Director of Lightbank, uh, into the mic there Vic, you can just say hello. Hello, everybody. Good to be here. The soothing sounds of Vic Pascucci. <laughs> uh, swirling around to the other side here, obviously, I mentioned uh, in the crosstalk with Amy, Katie Lynch from Codeverse, Todd Sneed uh, from Lyra, correct? Correct. Uh, so, welcome to the show. Hi. Hello. Hi. Everyone's <laughs> like, what is that accent? Did you get the, did, where's the accent from? Katie has been on the podcast a million times. You've been on, uh, have you been on Amy's show? I think you have, right? Or I no? think I have, like, once. Once, and then I know you've done the, during the week, uh, the, the business lunch. I have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're we like have, BFFs at, by this point. You are like a friend of the program, I think, is where <laughs> we're at with this. Um, so obviously, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about today with regard to Codeverse, and Vic and I are going to take some pitches, and we're going to try to be nice to founders, which is sometimes a challenge. We'll see if we can do that. Um, but on your end of this, I have talked about this topic on this show so many times. Um, the The fact that education and then music and creative and art and math and science for whatever reason in this country we have taken this like turn away where we like disjoin them and then we kind of move around it's like if you don't have creative married with your coding you can't be like you'll just be a a, a keyboard puncher like you you don't have any real value and so uh for those of you listening i'll let uh, katie go into codeverse real quick here but i i just want to preface by saying that like the the value of this i cannot cannot be overstated the yeah. value of needing creative and coding and starting really really young so with that said uh katie why don't you give us a rundown on, on codeverse and then we're going to talk about the partnership and what you guys are all doing excellent okay yeah. well codeverse is the world's first fully interactive coding studio and full programming language for children ages 6 to 13 and um, so we offer after school evening and weekend classes at all three of our studios in lincoln park naperville and wilmette I got to see the Naperville one the other day, by the way. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I was in Naperville taking a meeting, and I was like, oh, I am, you know, right around the corner. So I just, it's awesome. Oh, well, thank you for If people haven't checked it out, it's amazing. (laughs) My question, though, I'm not that smart. Would I be able to actually do this stuff? Like, like, because I feel like kids can pick up a phone. Like, I know kids who could pick, my daughter is like four months old almost, and I think she could pick up my phone probably and figure out how to use it. Older folks, I think, get to a point, I'm not older folks, but like, as you get to a certain age, you're like, I don't even know how to start doing this. Like, how, what is Codeverse doing that's unique that enables anyone to learn it so easily? Yeah. So, one of the really cool things that we've done uh, is we've built our very own proprietary language called KidScript. And so, KidScript, it basically takes all of the uh, core concepts of coding, right? So, like variables and um, objects and loops, and it basically simplifies it so that it's easy for younger children to understand. So, to answer your first question, Scott, like, can I learn? Uh, absolutely, yes. And we You're have... You're confident in that, that oh, I can yeah. learn this. And we, we have kids that are basically building video games in, like, 30, 45 minutes, which is really impressive. I think I would go and hide in the corner for a while and try to catch it. <laughs> I just... I, I don't see myself as... I, I'm like... I, I'm... I throw myself into stuff, and and the only reason I make these jokes about this is that I think that parents sometimes are reluctant to get their kids involved in things that they can't help with, and so when I looked at Codeverse originally, when we first had you on with this, I mean, it was like two years ago now almost, um, the the simplicity of it and the way that it's kid-friendly, it's really actually parent-friendly. Yes. Because the kids are going to get it anyway. Like, they're going to figure this stuff out, but the parents need to be like, oh, I can get my kids into something and not feel like I'm going to be the... The stumbling block here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's super approachable language, kid-friendly. Again, parents can use it. So, um, yeah, any, anyone can learn how to code. And I kids are a lot smarter than you and I when we were kids. Well, you could have stopped at you and I. You didn't, have to, you didn't have to add the when we were kids part. I stopped learning a long time ago. Yeah, I was able to do it. We had the teacher workshop a couple of weeks ago, and they made us do all the coding that the kids would do. And I got a little nervous too. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I haven't." Done well, there's this nothing stuff. more embarrassing, right? right. Like, like I can't work a like, computer. This stupid guy can't even. But it is so easy, and it. What's great about it is it's so fun because as soon as you do one or two lines of code, you see it 
on the other side of the screen, like light up or change color or adds a dog or there's a planet that you've built or something. So you get instant reward on what you're building and anybody can do it. And it took us like five minutes and we were able to build a game. And then I could text it to all my staff at Lyric and we could play games on our on our phones because of an app that we built at a Codeverse workshop for, in like five minutes. It was incredible, that, super easy, and that's awesome. The other thing that I would tell people is if you're if you're curious, because I, I do think this is one part that I've had a lot of groups that work in whether it's it doesn't have to just be coding, but like that are working with kids. And there's this maybe it's because they're they're I'm 35, they're my age or older when they start these things. Because like, oh man, I wish that I had this, you know, when I was a kid or whatever. And the, the one thing that always strikes me is that they build the rooms like schools, very institutional, not like fun and engaging. And it's like, if you want kids to learn something, you need to build a like discovery zone Absolutely. where they're going to like do stuff and they can move around and they can jump and play and learn. And if you go, to, I don't even need to have you do it. You can just go to code versus Instagram channel and you can see what it looks like. It's not like, you know, it's, it's, it's not like the, like a code, it's not a school. Yeah. It's going to be an easy sell to get the kids to walk in the front door, is my point. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we have a break at 14. So I want to make sure, before we do that, uh, give us a little rundown, uh, Todd, on Lyric Opera and the learning programs. And then we're going to talk about, after the break, uh, how you guys are putting things together and, and what people can get out of it and where to go and all that. Right, right. Yeah. So we have a lot of different learning programs at Lyric Opera for kids from all the way K to 12. Um, and also college programs. But this program specifically is called Opera in the Neighborhoods. And uh, it's a touring opera program that we take out into um, the Chicago area. We go all over the metro area, all the way out to Barrington and down to Governor State University. Um, and we do 15 different venues across the city over five weeks. And we see about eighteen to 20,000 kids that will come see this opera. So this Earth Dickensy opera that we're going to do has a huge impact because we're seeing um, it's our longest running program at Lyric. And it's also our biggest program that we see the m- most number of students. Um, so we're very excited about that. It's going to kick off um, October 15th and tour the city. Um, and then we have family performances on November 9th and November 10th that anybody in the public can come and bring their kids to see the show. I That's actually awesome. went to one as a kid. When oh, I was cool. a little kid. Uh, what would I have been? It would have been third grade or fourth grade i can't yeah. remember uh we took a tour to the lyric opera house and i just remember coming down from the the suburbs in the in the buses and going it's like i literally know like that that experience as a child yeah we have backstage tour programs just like that for kids in grades three through uh, 12 um, so you probably did that experience i actually got in trouble and was <laughs> put on they this is like I, I think you'd go to jail now for this as a teacher they tied my shoelaces together afterward so that I could no longer run off on my own and do stuff because they didn't like they didn't have like kid leashes like they do now or right. whatever. So yeah. I you know I just kept disappearing and doing what I was doing, whatever stuff I was doing then I do now. Yeah. Um, my wife would tell you I, she wants to tie my shoelaces together, um, <laughs> but I just I don't know why I remember this. I just remember like trying to hide somewhere behind the scenes behind yeah. the stage and yeah. they were like, "What are you doing?" And, yeah, we yeah. try to keep that student teacher ratio low so we don't lose any kids like that. For well, the that teacher figured out how to tie my shoelaces together and this like little chubby kids trying to like waddle away. It's not going to go very nice. well. Love it. Um, we are going to take commercial break here. We're going to come back and I would love to learn how Lyric and Codeverse are partnering. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. We are uh, having a conversation about kids learning to code. I think it's going to be about a billion kids, if I remember correctly. I'm going to teach yes, a billion sir. kids to code. Um, and you guys are now teaming up with the Lyric Opera House, and you guys have a whole big program you're going to put together, and I would love you guys to tell us all about it first. And then second, I want to know where everyone listening can go to get involved, and if there are things that they should or shouldn't do or know, or ages, whatever, uh, share it all with us. Sure. Yeah, so our... Um children's opera this year is called Earth to Kinsey and it's a brand new opera. We're real excited because you don't often create new operas and so mm-hmm. we get to do that and uh, it's written by, the music is by um, Francis Pollock and the libretto or the story of the opera is written by Jessica Murphy Moo and the whole story is about this fifth grade girl named Kinsey and she's like a typical fifth grader. She you know, has homework at school and her mom bugs her. Um, she likes playing video games and uh, but unfortunately sh- she's getting pushed out of her home and so her and her mom have to find a place to live and so they have to move into a family shelter and Kinsey finds sort of refuge from the stresses of her life by playing video games and in her video game she has her avatar and her avatar's name is Edwin and Edwin is super cool because he can fly through space and can breathe in any atmosphere um, and is only afraid of space kitties that's the only thing he's afraid of so those menacing space kitties will try to get him Um, and so she learns through the story that through her imagination and by having you know playing these video games and sort of understanding how to dream big that she can overcome these 
fears and overcome the stress of life. Um, and that she has friends at school that can help her and she has her mom that can help her. So no matter what her situation is, she can kind of emerge victorious. Um, so it's a really great program. Um, and like I said, it's going to tour around the city and we're going to impact between 18 and 20,000 kids um, across October and November. And uh, as we were thinking about the script, we said, okay, well, there's video games are really important to this. <laughs> um, so who in the city can help us uh, talk about video games to teachers and to families? And we did a lot of searching and talked to a lot of different companies and organizations around the city. And Codeverse just popped up and when we contacted Coverse they were like um yes this sounds really cool <laughs> this is right up our alley and the whole this whole opera is based on sort of space travel and Coverse has this sort of loose you know space theme in their in their all of their design and so we thought this is a perfect union between these um, two art forms yeah. I feel like you didn't have to search that far to get to Coverse <laughs> <laughs> actually we did I didn't know where to start because I you know like you didn't know anything about coding your search game man <laughs> yeah. but no we found it we did find it fairly quickly and um um, as we started com- you know, having conversations with your staff, it just made a lot of sense that this is going to be a really cool partnership. Yeah, one of the things that I loved most when Todd and his team first approached us and told us about Earth to Kenzie and what the production was about, when he started explaining like the central themes of the production, like creativity and using your imagination, you know, analyzing problems or, channel- um, or challenges um, and problem solving, like like our eyes immediately lit up and we're like this is perfect because these are all of the things that we teach at our studios you know beyond the technical skills of coding we're teaching kids these things confidence creativity you know um critical thinking computational thinking um and so it just it it was truly a marriage made in heaven yeah we (laughs) we started talking about opera design and story design and then we were talking about how video game design is exactly the same you have to set up the characters you have to set a setting for them they have to overcome a challenge and they have to be victorious And these are all themes that we deal with in opera all the time but to scott to your earlier point that you said at the get-go like i you know as someone heavily involved like yourself in the chicago tech community I couldn't be more excited about programs like this, right? Think of what that next generation workforce coming out that knows how to appreciate opera and code. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. those will be the most amazing entrepreneurs. And I want them all to start businesses, but <laughs> right. they'll be the best you'd ever have, right? Yeah. Someone so quantitative in their coding skills, yet has the ability to appreciate, let alone participate in opera. I mean, think about that workforce. I, I mean, I, I guess the the part of this that I think is so unique is obviously everything you just said, but the the, the actual storyline mm. marries exactly what totally. like you said. This like you, it, it, it's not just like the the space thing. And if you could talk about this, Katie, I think it would be even even better. Is there's a theme to Codeverse that I think is very purposeful. It's dreaming big, and it's yes. like, but it's but it's putting it in front of you in a way where it doesn't seem big. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you, like we can accomplish big things, but like you're just doing it. There's no like that's impossible. And I, and I think the whole point of this is that the the story, the actual opera story, is that this girl is recognizing that she can do anything she wants. It's awesome. But she just right. needs to like it's awesome. get focused on something in front of her, right? Right. She, that she can use her imagination to overcome that fear, you know, and that she can use her imagination to sort of block out the world stresses that are around her and say, mm-hmm. no, what I want to, I want to have my own story. I have my own narrative. Um, and I want to create something. And she creates an essay about her intergalactic adventures. And right. I think that's, what's great about Codeverse too, is that kids can go into this space no pun intended and create their own world and they can color it the way they want to and they can make the you know characters be whatever they want which is which is just awesome why yeah. katie why was why were you so intentional with the way that code versus design and layout and the space theme and just the general there's something about i mean every one of yeah. them is the exact like same as far as like how they're sort of you walk in and you feel the same thing, or at least that's the design. What, why is that so important? Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, everyone can get excited about space, yeah. right? When you think about space, you think about exploring, like, um, infinity, like, the possibilities are endless. And, like, at Codeverse, like, that's what it's all about, right? It's, like, with code and with all these other skills that you're that you're getting by coming to our studios, like, um, the possibilities truly are 
endless right for now and for your future um so that's kind of how we came up with the whole space theme initially and then um for anyone that's listening that hasn't been to a codeverse studio when you walk in there's all sorts of different areas of the studio that kids can go to based on their interests so for example if your kid likes um like dimly lit cave-like areas where they can program like you know lights and strobe lights that look like stars flashing all around um they can go into an area called the black hole Right. Whereas if they like more um, like computer lab kind of designed spaces, spaces like more traditional like computer labs, they can go into something which we call mission control. So even all the spaces within the space is is also intentional based on what a child is interested in. The funny thing is young people view space and things exactly how you just described it as like exploratory totally whereas i think a lot of older people have already sort of like been jaded to the point that we're like well i'm not gonna be around when we get there so that's it's like it's so awesome because you're hitting these kids well they still got that innate growth mindset before they get closed down right and so you hit them with that growth mindset and you're teaching it whether they realize it or not so there are no boundaries to them like yeah they're like well of course i should code and listen up. I would have never thought or, not to. Of course. Like, yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's, that's the, what we, what we do in opera is we say like when the emotions or when the imagination gets so big, you start to sing. So you can tell a story and have awesome. just words to a story, yeah. but the music is what helps kind of open that up and lets kids dream bigger in ways than they, than they, you know, maybe not at their normal school day or at home. Um, so it just, again, it, the, the parallels between coding and the imagination and, and how opera and the arts and any yeah. kind of singing and acting can open up kids to, you know, what's out there in the world is, is pretty phenomenal. How mm-hmm. are people going to get involved with, with this spe- specific thing? Sure. There's two different ways. So we have public family performances on November 9th and November 10th at the Vidim Theater, which is in the Noble Square area of um, Chicago. So those are on the 9th and 10th. Uh, tickets are $10 for kids and $20 for parents. Um, Codeverse will also be there giving out information. So it's a great way to see a public performance. Also, if you have a school, if your kids are in schools anywhere across Chicago or the suburbs, we have a tour um, called Opera in the neighborhoods and that is between october 15th and november 15th um and so you can go to lyricopera.org um backslash kinsey k-e-n-z-i-e um and learn more about both of those opportunities and where do people go for codeverse um so it's codeverse.com forward slash lyric i believe um but the, one of the things that um, you know I really want to hone in on on this show is, so not only have we partnered with Lyric, but we've also partnered with CPS as well. And so we're working with around roughly 200 schools. Um, and with those schools, we're going to be t- giving teachers coding activities that they can use within their classrooms oh, with nice. their students. Very yeah. cool. And um, in addition to that, all of the participants, so all of the students at, with these participating schools also get one free month of Codeverse Explorer which is our at-home kit. So it allows them to continue doing coding activities um, remotely. Very cool. Well, I hope they obviously do this. I hope that they show up and and go to the the operas as well. But I also hope that they actually go to the the Codeverse locations because I think it's it's a fun, it's a different place. It's just a different, it's a... I don't know. I'll leave it at that. You go. To, you can go yourself, and you'll figure it out. I think it's it's a very cool thing. So thank you guys both for coming in today and and sharing this. And thanks for what you guys are both doing for the community for for kids. I think it's super important. Thanks awesome. for having us. Cool. Of course. Thanks. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I am your host Scott Catoon. Joining me is my co-host today, Vic Pascucci. He is the manager director of LightBank. Vic, what's going on, my friend? Nothing, man. Just living the dream out here. Just living the dream. Just living, living dream. that dream. Um, so we've got. A, I think this is a tee up. This could go really well as you're, 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 you posted it perfectly on LinkedIn. This is either going to be really, really good or it's just going to be a colossal disaster. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I am really open to both. I, I have no, uh, we will learn from both, my friend. We I'm not going to learn, learn anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, just going to do it and just be like, Oh, that's a wall. Boom. It's over. Um, so this might be the last time any of you hear from me or this might be you hear from me and Vic every week. We'll see. Um, here's the thing. You and I both represent similar track within the startup community but the difference is i have to be the advocate of the founder mm-hmm. and you have to be the advocate of the money right and i we both have this thing where like and correct me if i'm wrong but we from as i see it in our relationship i i've noticed that we both have this this like you want to fight for the founder a little bit more than most investors yep. i see and i want to fight for the investor more right. than most founders yeah. that i see because i we we hear a lot of pitches and i i just i i can't help but like cringe yeah when i hear certain things said it's weird like in this business it, 
when you're in venture, you're in business building, like you, you have to live in this crazy bipolar world, right? You're only going to be successful as if you believe in these things and believe in these companies and believe in these founders. And so you have to find the reason to believe. But unfortunately, the reason to believe in you. <laughs> unfortunately, you got to say no to a thousand people. Yeah. And so, like, you're out there trying to make stuff happen, and and yet you have to say no to all these people. And Does it make me feel sound like a bad guy that I kind of enjoy saying no to people? No, 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 no. And everyone has to hear the no, right? And it, it's part of. Like if you can't handle a no, then you probably can't handle building a business. Oh right? well, yeah, I, I right? mean that's that's for sure. I and, just think there's you know enjoying that. Like some people like are just so freaking out there, right? That you you have to you know tell them the no, so they really le- hopefully learn a lesson and move on. Yeah, but you know it, it's crazy, right? It's venture, so you never know the people you tell no to. You can turn around; and they could be the next like you know Airbnb. So I'm gonna. I think the best way to to, to kick this off for the the next little while and, and share some stories. Is to start in the event space because yeah. we all circulate all these different events. You've been to events recently. I've been to events recently. And I want to share an anecdote from the voice of blockchain, which I was speaking the day after you were speaking. Yeah. And um, I just, there is something, I'm a big proponent of Chicago, but there's also something wrong with the yeah. way that we do things here, um, particularly when it comes to investing in companies and like why and how and how much and who gets it. Right. And there was a conversation, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the company, I think you probably are, called Helium. Sure. Based out uh, in San Francisco. And um, I got a chance to talk to the founder on my podcast, which if you if you guys don't listen, you should subscribe to it. Just follow us on Spotify, Technory Podcast. Um, I had the founder, Amir, on the show, and it's brilliant. I mean, basically, he talks about the fact that everyone's listening to 5G and learning about the 5G for your phone and whatever, and he yeah. was like... The, for this net, for 5G to really truly work, you're going to have to have these like 5G hubs everywhere. Right. And he is basically their team has basically decentralized this to a point where like you personally can buy a 5G hub, put it in your house, and then people can use 5G as they travel throughout the countryside, and then all the data that gets used essentially goes on to the blockchain that they have, and then you can actually make money on it, and right. people can mine from it. And there's a whole bunch of stuff. Sure. And this guy comes up to. To the to the booth, I don't know. I'm not even going to name him because it's too embarrassing. And he's he's like, "Tell me the business." So they start telling the business, and he's like, "You know, we're venture backed. So not that that means we don't care about revenue because we obviously do. Right. But the the point of the reason we've raised twenty so odd million from Google Ventures and others is that it's going to require a lot to prove the theory. Sure. But if the theory is proven true, the the, the market is insane. Right. And this guy's just looking at him like this Chicago investor who you probably would know. He's right. looking at him just like I just don't I just don't get it. So you guys like don't care about money. He was like, no, no, no I'm not saying that. Right. What I'm saying is, it's more important that I give away if I, I I'm selling these hubs for four four hundred dollars, two hundred and fifty dollars today. Great salesman tried to sell it right in front. Of him. <laughs> He's like, but if I had to give them away, I would because the reality is like if we find out that having the distribution network of these hubs would relate revenue wise. Or like opportunity wise, sure. if the opportunity is there, we will make a ton of money. Right. Like it doesn't even care. No one cares. And this investor got literally like was grilling him and like criticizing yeah. Google Ventures and people investing in this, and was like, "So what I, are you?" I hate like there's that closed mindedness that's here. We we talked about it earlier with yeah. with the Codeverse team in Lyric, right? People have these closed minds, especially in venture. You're guaranteed to be a failure, right? And if you got this, everything's bad and they're not smart enough, they can't do it, guess what you're going to attract and that's what you're going to have. But I think even to your earlier point, right, like you see the venture side, I see the entrepreneur side and both things. Like when you're talking, when companies are talking to venture capitalists, when other venture capitalists are talking to companies, like understand the dynamics of venture, right? So everyone's like, everyone thinks, the entrepreneurs think, well, it's, your job is to do deals. No, my job is to return the money that's yeah. given to me at a 10x, Yeah. right? And so... You know, Mr. I know it all local investor that probably has a $20 million fund or $50 million fund is different than Google Ventures that's got multi billion. And so if they got to return 10x on top of a billion, they have to take these enormous swings, you know, give somebody $20 million at seed to see if it you works. You know what the problem with the $20 million guy is? He probably has 200 companies in his portfolio. Yeah. That's the problem. He's <laughs> got like a ton of $50,000 non conviction bets. <laughs> That he's syndicated with everybody else from the North Shore. Yeah. And, you know, no one really 
cares enough about the portfolio companies, and that's why I don't like the non-conviction party I, rounds. At least I just I I got into this whole thing. I, I, I mean, I know we've talked about it, but it was like yeah. somebody I'm, I don't even want to name drop. Somebody brought this up at the Momentum Awards, and the the conversation piece was basically like, "But we have an eight x return history. It's the best." And it was like eight x on what though? <laughs> so like. Yeah. If you could give me 4x on a billion yeah. or 8x on a million, which one would you yeah. take? I mean, remember, right? it's venture, so it's about portfolio construct. And so based on your investment thesis in your portfolio, that's all going to get dictated by the size of your fund. Yeah. Right? So if you're just, like I said, you look at GV's multi-billion dollar fund that's got you know strategies around everything from space and health to SaaS it's different than like, okay, I have a $10 million fund. I made $100,000 bets and reserves and fees and everything else. And so, yeah, it's easier. You you know, you put $100,000 into a company on a $2 million pre and they sell for 10. Yeah, you got your markup. You got yeah. a big return, but you're not returning your fund with that. Yeah. Right? It's still not a, this isn't a win. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, congrats, you're building track record. So yeah. build your track record, get there, do that stuff. Great. But like, it, it's like that level of hubris and arrogance that venture is full of that leads to these horrific mistakes. Like we should probably, you know, make fun of WeWork for a while, right? And the venture oh, we, people. I, I, listen, if we want to do that on the back of the show, we can. I just like wrote down in my notes, like don't go on the WeWork thing. Okay, all right. I'll, because, I'll back no, it up. because every, like for, for two weeks in a, three weeks in a row now, the information, every single post has been WeWork and it's like, yeah. how is this a surprise? Well, here's the thing. We just here's, went into the WeWork thing. Yeah, We're so already here. We'll say one thing and then we'll, we'll leave it if you want. But it's no, like, no, say one thing. All that, stuff that came out in the s1 was known to each and every investor yes. in that company yes whether it was the hijinks out with hiawaska root at you know burning man or selling your own company the your hijinks. own do- your own um website your own domain for 10 million dollars and having complete control of your company like that's not like you enabled the monster you fed the beast and then like it goes into an S1, so the rest of the world realizes what an idiot you are for enabling such things to happen. And then you're like, oh, wait. Wait. This isn't good? I mean... Yeah, you people are going to... I think it goes to, to your point. It goes to the arrogance. Yeah. Because it was like, totally. you people actually read the S1? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... What? You know, when capital becomes a commodity and, you know, you give it to irresponsible and unethical people, it's not going to end well. No. Right? No. I want so like we're gonna take a commercial break because somebody's got to pay for our you know our expensive time right and um, <clears throat> when we come back I want to share sort of my approach with the founders the thing that I'm trying to convince and convey the founders on behalf of you yeah. and the investors because I, I think if I hear one more pitch and I hope the person who's pitching later is listening now if I hear one more pitch that leads with why I do this and why it's cool and nowhere in the deck does it tell me how I'm going to get my money back or when like not at all right. I'm just deleting your deck it's over right. so we're going to take a break we're going to come back and I'm probably going to need a drink <laughs> done welcome back to the startup showcase all right we have uh we were just talking about um a whole bunch of stuff we were talking about investors and and sort of their I don't know sometimes a little bit obtuse I think founders get a way, way too much latitude. You were talking about with WeWork and like mm-hmm. you fed the beast and this is what happens. I was sort of, I've just, this happened again at the panel. I was, I'm speaking to the same panel, um, the voice of blockchain, which by the way, I, I just want to give a shout out to Joe, Disruption Joe. He really did do a really good job this year. I know you spoke yeah. on this and I, I, not to say I was questioning it. I was not, I mean, yeah. I was obviously because I'm saying it. Right. I just, in block the blockchain stuff is like one of those things where like if if they had had it a week earlier when Bitcoin was at like twelve grand it would have been bustling right it's at like eight thousand and not yeah. as bustling and he still had great speakers great speakers after great speakers but I had one person who there had a couple of people who were in the audience who were founders and they were asking questions about ICO which for those listening to the show that maybe are not familiar with crypto. There was a period of time not long ago where it was very common to raise a ton of money yep. based on more or less nothing. It was a, a coin that was tied to a blockchain that your company probably didn't even actually use and it had nothing to do with your business. And, and essentially, in my opinion, in most cases, it was fleecing people out of money. Um, yeah, 
98% of them are proven to be frauds. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually being too nice about it. Um, and so what I'm getting at is <clears throat> the founder was asking about why he wasn't able to raise money and if, she should, if he should look at that or if he should raise money this way and that way and the other way. And I, I just asked him, like, point out, like, what is the revenue opportunity of your business? Right. And I'm not asking that trying to, like, be challenging you or to, like, say anything judgy. I just want people to understand that, and this is to all the listeners and all the founders out there who are maybe telling your kids that you should be in this. There is absolutely nothing wrong with starting a business that's a small business, that's right. family-owned or otherwise, that is not going to be traded hands, or maybe it will be down the road. Right. That is a small business, and then there is a growth company. And a growth right. company is a highly investable opportunity. And founders... And you can name drop some of the people in your portfolio, like Kyle Nakasuji. I always talk about clear covers. He gets it. Yep. He under. I mean, obviously, he comes from that world, but he gets it. He knows immediately. Like, I'm creating this company because there's a huge opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also a huge investment opportunity. Right. We need this capital to do this, and I will return X if. Right. The number of founders who are coming into this asking for money, asking for a lifeline. I'm going to try not to get PO'd here. Right. Are taking advantage, and you could argue that. Stupid as a stupid does taking advantage of ill-informed rich individuals who are angel sure. investors putting money in, but that's not who they're hurting because those people can afford to lose their money, or and if they can't afford it, they're stupid. Anyway. Shouldn't be investing. It's the people like Aegis AI and Cabin yep. from True Public who have real things that are actually investable, right? That are just trying to figure out the market and how to invest. Every dollar that you take from angels that could have invested in something really, truly scalable that you took for a lifeline for some crazy idea that even in, it doesn't, doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong, I'm not judging your idea. Right. You and I could have a conversation in five seconds and I could determine to you, based on what your idea is, the path to whatever the most rapid growth you will, you will experience. Right. Barring something completely unforeseen, you do not have enough revenue runway right. to make this investable and return at least... 4x or 8x or 10x right so every deal you take is is completely irresponsible right so you know the fundamental you, you just got to get basic like everyone over complicates this stuff yes right? so not every like you're saying not every business is a venture backable business or a venture back business and that's that's okay. not a judgment that's great like what honestly it, i think i'm jealous right i would much rather prudential just bought assurance assurance for three billion dollars company never took a dime of venture capital yep right other businesses, like, you know, especially here with uh, local startup businesses, right? You could be a great lifestyle business. A lifestyle business is not a slam. Like, you build a business that does a couple million bucks a year. It's cash flow positive. You take care of yourself. You take care of your family. That's great. It's a services-based business. Maybe it's a little more asset-heavy. Those are attributes that are not conducive for venture. Because remember, venture, I've got to return 10x. Yeah. I have to look at every deal as a 10xer. Otherwise, I'm not doing my job. Like people give me money; it's a responsibility. And so, you as the entrepreneur, your your job is not to raise money. Your job is to use the money to grow a huge business. Like everyone's like, I gotta raise, I gotta raise, I gotta raise for what? For what? Like, show me how you're going to use that money to build a billion dollar business, right? And it's venture, right? So understand the fundamentals of venture. Like we're financing losses in order to get to a huge win. Now, reasonable losses. Over yeah. a long period of time with reasonable burn rates, it's the nature of venture. But show me how this thing becomes a billion-dollar business. And right, you can't, especially at seed or even at A, like, yes, you can't pencil it out. But show me the fundamentals of blocking and tackling of this product, this market, this team, this unfair competitive advantage, and this is how I get after it. Oh, we'll get down to the unfair advantage. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that at the end of the I want right. We have a whole segment but it's for that. A, to your <clears> thing, it's like the, the job of an entrepreneur is not to raise money. The job is to use the money yeah. to build value. And I'll plug you with the, another podcast we just recently had was the co-founder of Netflix. Kind of a big yeah, deal. sure. And although that's a whole other story because right. it's not the one that's still there. So that's another yeah. thing. But he was Mark Randall was telling me on the show, he was like, when I look for companies and people who want to invest, and I introduced him to Cabin from, from True yeah. Public, and he, he loved the idea, but his, his thing was you don't need to raise – like. You can, if you can't come up with twenty five grand or fifty grand to test it out, right. you don't like the investor doesn't pay for you to test whether or not this theory is viable. Right, like you need to come up like with is there a is there a there there right on your own right, and then after that 
you can go and raise money to say like, here's, we need this to get to this, but only if there is an addressable market that's sufficient enough to compensate. Right. And so there's, Oh, there's that concept of skin in the game, right? Yeah. So you got to have a little skin in your game. It's your business. It should mean something to you. And so you should start it and find a way to make it happen. And entrepreneurs do it all the time, right? From different backgrounds and different businesses. Like they put skin in the game. And that's the other side of venture most entrepreneurs don't realize. Most venture funds, if you're a general partner in a venture fund, you have your GP commitment. Yeah. Like, so I have to put my own money yeah. to work alongside the funds when we do deals. That's kind of aligns incentives pretty well, right? Usually, usually. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that when the entrepreneurs are coming out, like you know, um, Sunny at Aegis, um, Cabe in a True Public, even Kyle at the early days, right? Whether it was savings or whether it was credit cards, and not, I'm saying everyone go jack up your credit cards or anything like that. But I did that. You could look me up yeah. and read the story. It's 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 <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's working out, but it didn't go the way as planned. Uh, we are going to have the pitch coming back at two o'clock, but now we are going to have to kick it to the news. So we'll be back with the news after this. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host Scott Catoon. Joining me today's show's co-host Vic Pascucci from LightBank. Uh, Vic, are you ready hello, to everybody. see? Uh, yeah, hello, hello, hello. Yeah. Are you ready to see who gets off the elevator? I'm ready. It's, it's not cheesy, right? <laughs> ready? Cue the elevator. Put our venture vests on. Yeah, get venture vests and all birds. No all birds. Fire away, Jacob. Hi, my name is Jacob Hanshar with Digital Dream Labs. And my pitch usually starts off like this. When did school stop being fun for you? For most of us, it's when we encountered a subject that made us feel stupid. At a certain point in education, we're going to encounter a subject that's going to make us dislike learning. For me personally, it wasn't until my father taught me how to play card games that I liked statistics. Because all of a sudden, there was this daunting subject and it was broken down for me in the form of a game. As children, we all learn through play, and that's where things are fun, but somewhere we lose sight of that, and now we have to regain it. Digital Dream Labs is the fun introduction to any topic for every child. We introduce potentially intimidating subjects like like coding or math in fun-sized, bite-sized increments that focus on joy and the learning is incidental. This philosophy has led us to being adopted in over 3,400 elementary schools across the U.S. It's the reason why we're projecting sales to exceed a million dollars this year. And it's the reason we've been profitable since 2017. As we expand to middle school and beyond, we bring one thing to the classroom our competitors can't. We build games that children actually want to play, and we are poised to become the dominant billion-dollar player in the educational market. Well said. Uh, before we get into the uh, the business of this, <clears throat> I have to tell everybody uh, to go to republic.co backslash register. Go ahead and register, and you can invest right alongside of us. Um, and obviously, if you want to learn more about this, it's republic.co slash uh, digital dash dream dash labs. Uh, we'll be posting it on our Twitter and on everything social at Technori and or at Katoon. So if you like this or have any other comments or anything as a, as a listener, feel free to just hit us in the DM and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Um, again, before the business matter here, I just want to tell you, Jacob, how much I agree with your opening sentence because I am the perfect example. And I'm just going to give you one little sidebar for people locally here who are familiar with uh, Peter Rahal from RX Bar, uh, which sold to Kellogg's for $600 million. It's just a... You know, what a terrible idea to create a bar in a really, really overcrowded market, and he just didn't care. There's a recent article on Peter that's, I think it's just on Medium, but it it was really interesting introspective on being an entrepreneur, which is a whole other topic. Um, But the thing that he said that I think resonates with this conversation very strongly is, like me, he uh, was viewed in junior high and high school as being... I'm not going to say slow, that's the wrong word, but like challenged, whatever they, whatever yep. word schools use, and then was therefore put into lower-level classes, lower-level math classes. And I can tell you from knowing Peter my whole life, not slow right. and not bad at math, um, but never was given the opportunity to, to provide an application to it that would make right. him want to learn it or understand it in his terms. Well, that's the problem yeah. with the education is like people don't understand that kids and adults learn differently yeah and they reach their highest levels by learning on their own and on their right way so guys like you me peter we were i don't know i'm not like anybody we were developmentally delayed and in that other teacher's class for reading or for math 
because we weren't smart enough. No, the reality was no one knew how to bring the best out of us. And, you know, you're a kid, so you couldn't figure it out on your own. But, Jacob, get into your thing. So here's here's what I think. I always start at the macro and then kind of drill down. So, you know, there's the couple thematic things like why you, why this, why now? And so generally, if you're pitching for money, you're probably going to be hopefully pitching. Like for you, start with people that know ed tech, education technologies. Just go with people that know your space and have an appreciation for your space as opposed to the generalists. Kind of start there, right? Um, and then those people will see, a th- like this is not a slam, right? They'll see a thousand things that sound just like you, right? So from the very get-go, start with how you're different than the Quizlets, than the thises and the thats and everything else that's out there. Like... And, and so whether it's the technology, whether it's the team, like what makes you better than everybody else and how, and, and so kind of do, do that. And then for things like this, especially if you're selling through in two schools, that's a nightmare as you probably know. However, you said one really great thing that you probably want to key on, key in on is part of it is like, oh, by the way, I'm a profitable business, right? Yeah. Huge. So like that. So I would have more of a, like the, the, the story was great, like kind of knew what you did, but, but then it's a why, why you, why this? So I'm assuming there's something of like, I, I go with this premise, maybe it's the wrong premise. Every entrepreneur is a smart person. And so smart people can do a lot of different things to make money. Why are they doing this? Is it a personal story? Is it a pure See, opportunistic I, I want to ask, ask Jacob directly, why, why is this uniquely special compared to other ones because i yeah. i actually i i think having listened to a lot of the same kind of pitches vic that you've heard on this kind of stuff most of them don't lead with what he led with which is i got lost in school here because yeah. of this and and, and yeah. i'm just addressing that it's real simple why why are you so different jacob so he, uh, we can we can think about larger companies that have folded recently right and they're they seem to be dropping like flies and in EdTech market was smoking hot back in, let's say, 2013. One of the reasons I think there was a lot of misguided, well-intended but misguided steps is that products were generated inside a laboratory or guided by, um, well, let's, let's just say, Silicon Valley values versus actually discussions with teachers that were based on solving a problem. Right now, we talk to teachers all the time. So we're building a a chemistry game called Monstrous Molecules, and we are constantly talking to the teacher. And the problem we're solving there is that in sixth and seventh grade, chemistry, the abstract concepts of chemistry are being lost among students. And so we're constantly playtesting, and we're very, very good at building games. And then I'm going to wind back a little bit to our first product. What launched our first product? It's called Cork the Volcano. Cork the Volcano is a coding game, and it was based on the frustration that kindergarten teachers were having introducing coding into the classroom in the first place. Why were they having that problems? Because, like you said, there are several applications out there that do many things. Why couldn't the children just simply start, you know, going on Scratch Junior and start messing around? And the reason for that is children at that age, five years uh, of age, let's say the seven, are really tactile learners. They need something in their hands. And I think we can go back to our own childhood when we played with blocks, when we played with action figures, things like that. That was really engaging and fun, and at the same time, our brains are learning. So I have a PhD in neuroscience, and I think that, as a CEO, that sets me apart from a lot of our competitors, too, that I understand the, the, the science of thinking. I understand how the brain is working and how it changes as a person grows up. The ideas that we have as children are more like fantasies and we have to kind of appeal to that in order to build something that's concrete and let's say uh more tangible in in the real world as an example so our our product first product puzzlets you put down little blocks and those blocks are actually literally block coding right? right and as you're laying down these blocks now you're scripting you're modifying, you're negating, you're building loops. 
the children don't actually realize they're doing that until much later when they're actually in scratch and things like that. So and that's something I think you I, want to keep you want to key on when when you're doing your pitch and talking is like gamification, one of the most overused words in, words in the history of venture. Right? It's kind of like, well, I sprinkle in my AI. Like for a while, it was like it didn't matter how hard the topic was, whether you're teaching it to adults and children, or it's like, well, I'm going to gamify it. Right? I'm going to gamify investing. I'm going to gamify insurance. I'm going to gamify algebra. Right? You're taking it to. I just want you to drill on the true value. Like, you're take you're a neuroscientist. You know how the brain works. You know how a child's brains work, and you're bringing the cognitive disciplines into it and the cognitive science to how is how do I pull the best out of these kids so that they learn. And part of it's knowing how their brain works. Part of it's talking to teachers. Part of it's talking knowing how people or kids want to interact both from a, an analytics and then the tactile standpoint. And I think it's really important to say how that differentiates everything else that's out there on, you know, the give the kid a iPad programs that are out there. This is, I, I really like this, Jacob. I, um, I want to, we have to take a commercial break and then Vic and I are going to talk a little bit more about the opportunity here, but um, <clears throat> where do people go to learn more about this and get involved and sign up for it? And obviously I'll cover the investment part. Sure. So you can go to Republic. We're doing a crowd raise there. So you can go to republic.co and then Digital Dream Labs. And then also you can learn more about us at uh, www.digitaldreamlabs.com. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. And just to give everyone a heads up, they've they've raised 205% of their funding goal. It's over $50,000, 356 investors. There's about 70 days left on this. Uh, value value cap is set at $5 million, 20% discount, $50 minimum to invest. Um, if you look at all of the terms and sheets and stuff on Republic, they've the point that Vic made was was a very good one, yeah. which is that they are actually making money. So we're going to take a commercial break. We will keep it come up back. positive at a five cap. Yeah, I'll keep it a positive. <laughs> I'll take it all day. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back, and Vic and I can hammer down a little bit more. <clears throat> Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. All right. Hello, so everybody. We, we, yeah, <laughs> every time. Hello, as if they would. I mean, I guess they could be new listeners, people getting ready for Northwestern. Vic is, hello, everybody. Um, so I want to, There's. T- we only have like six minutes or no. How long do we have? I don't even know how long. Six minutes. All right. I'm going to do a live read real quick and then we'll jump right into it. For news at 10, watch WGN, Micah, Micah Matir. I don't know. John Donlan and Dan Rowan. Chicago's most trusted meteorologist, Tom Skilling, for TV News at 10. Watch Chicago's very own WGN. All right. There's two things I want to cover quickly. The first thing is wrapping up on on that pitch. And the second thing is why Republic finally, and, and other and Micro Ventures is another one that had a big exit. And, and I, I just want to talk about it because I think people listening have heard me drone about it for a long time, but they don't quite realize the opportunity financially that you and I bring to the table when, right. we, when we present these. I want to get your feedback first on... Uh, I'll pose a question to you about this guy who just pitched Jacob. What I wrote down in my notes on it that I thought was interesting is if I were him, I would not look at this as a company that's trying to get into the ed tech space because as an investor, like you said, I immediately cringe about dealing with education and institutions. Mm-hmm. But if I said I have a gaming company and particularly most of it is going to be digital in the future, I'm looking at esports and it's hot and there's a huge valuations mm-hmm. and I'm a gaming company that just happens to know how to sell into kids in ed tech. Yeah. Do you, what do you? What are your thoughts on the company overall? On the so, the th- my thoughts on Jacob's company as a whole is I think he's got something there. Yeah, I, I'd want to like. Here's the thing: we didn't drill in deep. We didn't drill, but here's the thing: for a pitch, like I know I can do a quick no, and but I know my yes is I'll start with I want to do some work. Yeah. So Jacob's would be something I want to do some work because while the story wasn't there the way I personally like it, yep. the nuggets were there. EBITDA positive been selling into education. I just want to know like why he gave me a little bit of the why him. Yeah. And you know, he's got a background with education, but like I can hammer home. I'm a neuroscientist hammer home. I've talked to thousands and thousands of teachers. I've sold this many applications and I'm like EBITDA positive. You're going to hear this all the time listening to Vic and I talking, but the word unfair advantage yes. comes up a lot. His unfair advantage, which he glazed over was, he knows how to build games that people download. Right. That's your unfair advantage. Like, I don't care about the, well, the ed tech stuff. I, I care that you know how to build games that people want to play. Right. Well, he's got two unfair advantages, right? So we'll talk from the venture side and then the company. Like, he's got, like, first and foremost, he's got a product that's winning, right? Just, I, I need to know why it's winning over the others. Like, why is it winning other than the other overhyped things that are out there? His other unfair advantage is 
He doesn't need my money. Yeah. I'm even a positive. I don't necessarily need your money, right? Yeah. What would happen? It, here's the thing. If the venture industry had something at a five cap that was EBITDA positive, that would never see the light of day. <laughs> People would pounce on it, write the check, and be like, here, just go. Yeah. I want 20% of the business go. Like yep. The fact that this opportunity is there is pretty amazing. No, I, I totally agree. And so speaking of that, we have had, I don't know, 50 companies mm-hmm. from Republic and or MicroVentures, Seed Invest, Start Engine, And we partnered with Republic because, in my mind, <clears throat> they democratize the investing process better than anyone. All of them offer opportunities for founders to raise money. Republic does a fantastic job of, of letting it make it easy for us retail investors. Microventure, or MicroVentures recently had a company called Zenblend, which, if you were familiar, they were on the show. I actually went home to Whole Foods and I bought their product and ate it and I loved it. I invested $150, which is not a lot of money. Right. Um, I think it was like two times the minimum or whatever it was. And that was three months ago. They just exited. They just got bought. Nice. And I got a $500 check. $500 check on a $150 investment. That's awesome. Three months later. It's great. It's fantastic. I don't think people understand. Like, had I known, right. what does $1,000 look like? Five grand. Right. Like, right. The, the, this, is, this is real. And I, we've done the best we can early on trying to, to, to shape the image so people understand that Republic is like, it's great for founders to raise money, help founders raise money, help them get a chance. This is money that you can afford to lose. That's why you're playing. Don't do it if you can't afford right. it. But I think we are just starting. Republic has had five companies in six months raise the maximum of a million dollars on the campaign, mm-hmm. which is insane. Um, the average raise when we started this partnership with them when they launched in 16 was like 65000 67000 it was 125,000 in 17, 180,000 in 18. This year, 360,000 is the average amount raised. We are entering a world where as retail investors, you can make money on this. You're getting better terms. You're getting great terms than you're angels. Getting, and you're getting access. So, first you hit something really important. Don't invest anything you can't 100% afford to lose. Yeah. Like imagine like not only can you not afford to lose it, but what I tell people is, well, we're going to take your money, we're going to put it right there at the center of this table, we're going to light it on fire. Not only do I want you not to care, I want you to celebrate the pretty colors. And don't of inhale. Of fire. Right? Don't inhale. <laughs> well, there, I'm sure there's cannabis coming. That's different. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, so we, we have we have 45 seconds. So I, I want to make sure that people know where to follow you. I know you'll be back probably in the next few weeks or yep. whatever. But where, where do people go to keep up with you? Because you write a lot of stuff on LinkedIn and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, at Victor Pascucci 3 on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. And then every, I'm going to start blogging some more as well. Well, there you go. I uh, I want to say I appreciate you coming in today. I know that we're going to do this a whole bunch of times. I, I think that we have hit that maturity point yep. with this where it's time for us to start talking about the investment opportunity more than just helping the founders, which we always want to help the founders. Yep. And I'm not turning on my fellow founders, but I, I am starting to line into this investor line where it's like we really we got to dig. We got, we got to start doing some work here. Yeah. So, Vic, thank you so much for coming in today. Always awesome to be here. Uh, you can all follow me at Technori or at Katoon or on Instagram or everywhere else. Enjoy Northwestern football, folks. Go Cats.